My brothers and sisters, today's scripture teaches us about a cosmic war that's taking place between good and evil. In Genesis, in our first reading, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. On one side of this cosmic war, we have the woman and her offspring. That is Mary and Jesus. On the other side, we have the serpent, that is the devil. And in our gospel, we see this cosmic war manifest in a very specific and a very concrete way with Jesus expelling demons from possessed people. Through exorcism, Jesus overcomes the devil and liberates those afflicted by him. But what about us here today? Does this cosmic battle pertain to us? Yes, it does. And there's no better proof of this than the fact that from apostolic times until this very day, the Catholic Church continues to exercise Jesus' ministry of exorcism. Now someone might say, exorcism? Come on! Isn't that just for Hollywood? I mean, these so-called possessed people in the Gospels were obviously just crazy, and the people back in Jesus' day didn't know any better. But today we've got psychology, and we know better. Right? Well, hold on now. I remember back when I was in seminary, we had a psychologist come in from the Archdiocese of New York, and he came to speak to us on a topic of uh, pastoral counseling. But in the course of his time with us, uh, it came out that he often worked as a consultant for exorcists. Now, a lot of the guys in my class, I was not one of them, but many of us were like, come on, are you serious? And he said he too was skeptical about the whole thing until he saw someone levitate. Yes, levitate. That changed his mind. Psychology can't account for levitation. Now, I could give you many well-substantiated accounts of contemporary cases of possession that include all sorts of phenomena that can't be explained by psychology or any other natural causes. But let me relate to you an older case that took place back in the second half of the 19th century. And I choose this one because it's very well-documented by eyewitnesses and there's lots of uh, writings that surround it. And it includes a whole range of signs that, again, can't be accounted for by psychology or other natural means. In 1864, in the village of Olferth, in the region of Alsace-Lorraine in northeastern France, nine-year-old Theobald Berner and his seven-year-old brother Joseph began to exhibit disturbing behavior that worried their parents. They began to demonstrate knowledge that was totally beyond their age and their education they started to speak in different languages they had never learned, such as English, German, and even the dead language of Latin. They demonstrated a great aversion to sacred things, such as holy water. Many doctors and priests were consulted. After five years, the Bishop of Strasbourg finally authorized an exorcism. And I'll relate here only the exorcism of the older brother Theobald. By this time, after five years, Theobald was 14 years of age. For the past five years, he had increasingly demonstrated a total hatred 
for churches, chapels, holy water, priests, nuns, and children. He brought he was brought to an orphanage that had a chapel. Although he could walk freely around the orphanage, he would refuse to walk near its chapel. As soon as he was made to approach the chapel, his facial expressions would become terrible, and he would begin to snarl and howl like a dog. He would freeze up and refuse to move. On Sunday, October 3rd, 1869, three very strong men carried Theobald into the chapel and strapped him into a chair that was placed right in front of the Blessed Sacrament before the high altar. His face was flushed red, and foam from his lips trickled down to the floor. He was turning and twisting in every direction. The exorcist, Father Sukkot, approached the boy only to hear him say in a brutal and harsh voice, Get the bleep out of here, you bleep. Okay, explicatives. Father Sukkot began the exorcism. At the words, Holy Mary, pray for us, the boy uttered a terrible cry. Get out, you swine! I don't want it! He began to howl savagely, and his struggles became so violent that the three men had difficulty holding him down. The exorcism continued like this for three hours. Eventually it had to be stopped. Everybody was exhausted. As soon as Theobald was taken out of the chapel, he quieted down. Later on in the evening, he made an odd remark to the priest who had arranged for the exorcist's journey to the orphanage. You were quite, you were quite right to slip him that medal. Slip who a medal? The priest responded. Why, the coachman, of course. How do you know about this? Why was I right to do this? If you hadn't given him that medal, I would have upset the entire carriage, people and driver and all, the horses too. You know, I was traveling along beside you the whole time. As it turns out, this priest had arranged the horse and carriage that brought him and the exorcist to the orphanage. The priest had given the driver a St. Benedict's medal, a medal known for its efficacy against the devil. How could young Theobald have known of this incident unless it was not Theobald who was speaking, but an invisible intelligence who could have been imperceptibly present with this priest and the exorcists as they traveled. The priest then said to the boy, Do you know who it was who was praying over you today? Of course I do. He's the one who a while back had driven out our strongest. A few years earlier, Father Sukkot had successfully performed an exorcism that was especially difficult. But how could Theobald know that? These little details merely confirmed that this was a genuine possession. On the next day, Monday, October 4th, 1869, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the exorcism began. This time, the chair in which Theobald was strapped lifted itself off the ground a few feet into the air. Hmm, here we see levitation. Yeah, levitation. No psychological explanation for that. However, the chair settled down eventually and the exorcism began. After two hours, it was an invocation of the Blessed Mother that accomplished Theobald's final deliverance. Father Sukkot held a little statue of Mary before the eyes of the boy. Do you see the Blessed Virgin Mary? Once again, she shall bruise your head. She will brand you with the names of Jesus and of Mary so that they burn you forever. 
You are deaf to the voice of the priest. Well then, now it is the mother of God who commands you. She commands you to be gone. Flee from the sight of the Immaculate Conception. And at this moment, all those friends and family who were standing by began to pray the Memorare, prayer probably most of us know. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to you for protection, so forth and so on. Suddenly, in a deep and harsh voice, the boy cried out, Well then, I am going! The boy writhed like a serpent. A crashing sound was heard. Then the boy relaxed and slumped forward. Silence fell on all. Theobald slept for about half an hour. Afterwards, when he awoke, he was amazed to find himself surrounded by a lot of people he didn't know. In fact, he had absolutely no recollection of the past five years of his life. He eventually returned to normal life, attended school, went to church and confession, and lived the rest of his life uh, as a good Catholic. To this day, there stands near the village square of Ilfirth a beautiful monument. It is a statue of Mary, and it reads, In perpetual memory of the deliverance of two boys possessed by devils, Theobald and Joseph Berner, granted by the intercession of Blessed Mary Immaculate, A.D. 1869. My brothers and sisters, we are engaged in a war with the devil, and the church's power of exorcism is only the most dramatic reminder of this. God sometimes permits the devil to possess people only because it ultimately undermines the devil's own battle plan. You see, the devil is most successful when he goes undetected. Have you ever heard the saying, the devil's greatest deception is to persuade us that he does not exist? The whole phenomenon of possession actually uncovers the devil and exposes him for us. It reminds us of something the devil would rather have us not be aware of, and that is that he's at war with God and with us, and he wants nothing more than to separate us from the love of God. And so we should all ask ourselves, what side of this war am I on? Am I on the side of Christ and Mary, or do I inadvertently at least take the devil's side? Do I live my life as if God does not exist or as if he doesn't love us? Do I contribute to a culture that's focused only on the visible and material by being so absorbed in material things I've got no time to think about God or to pray? Do I dress immodestly and so contribute to a culture that idolizes the body and sensual gratification? Do I gossip? Do I pass Rash judgment on others, that's a way to take the devil's side. Do I give bad example to others by word or deed or by my lifestyle? My brothers and sisters, let us always remember to fear God more than the devil and to fear sin more than suffering. Let us always remember to love God more than pleasure and money and honors. By doing so, we will be taking the side of Christ and Mary and will be sure to be on the winning side in this cosmic battle against the devil.